God Squad Church, how much I love you, I cannot express. It is so amazing to be back with you on another Saturday. I'm excited for what God has for you and what he will continue to do in each and every one of us as we grow in our faith, as we take steps towards him. And today is going to be fun. Uh, I'm excited for it. And so thank you for giving me the honor and the privilege to speak to you. The fact that you showed up to church today means the world to us uh, here at God Squad Church. And so welcome, welcome. If you're new here with us, hey, welcome on in. Come on in. It's nice to see you. Uh, we are a church for gamers, and this is a place for you. Uh, and if you're not a gamer, guess what? This is still a church for you. And we're so excited to have you here with us. So welcome. Appreciate you hanging out and tuning in. Um, and if you're joining us on YouTube or a VOD or whatever it is, it means that you're consuming this. Hey, we love you. Feel free to jump into our Discord and hang out with us. We would love to see you. We would love to get to know you. Um, God is doing amazing work in gamers around the world. Um, and it's just so fun to be a part of that. And so welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, today we're going to be talking in Luke 620. Um, and we're going to be going through the Beatitudes in Luke and kind of like breaking down what that'll look like. But this is going to be a two-part series. Next week, we'll come back for part two. Um, you did not want to sit here for an hour and a half to two hours of me trying to, trying to drill this content into your mind. But I think God has something great through this message. And I think this, this is out of the, it's the longest I've been able to, the more, most content I've been able to extrapolate from such little amount of scripture in my life. And so God has been teaching me and guiding me as I've been preparing for this message. And so I'm excited. I think, I think it's going to be awesome. And so um, this is part one. And so we're going to jump into part one. We're going to get a little bit in the background and what that looks like. But uh, as we go through Luke, I want you to just keep an open mind and think of the times that we spend together. This isn't a time for somebody else. This isn't for your neighbor next door. This message isn't for your mom or your dad. It is for them too. But you have to come to a conclusion that this message is for you. All right? So when you're when you're listening to things, uh, you know, like like sermons or you're reading the Bible or you're praying, God is speaking to your heart. And allow him to transform you and not always be in the minds that this might be for somebody else. This is for you. And so modern success would say life is you're, you're successful if you're getting what's yours. If you're eating your fill at the greatest restaurants in the world. Modern success would say it's about that picturesque Instagram photo where you got to travel to this far exotic place and lay on the beaches. Where life feels free from worry. It would be about winning friends and being included and never being bullied or rejected, or being accepted by everyone. That would be what modern success would say. That's what that picture looks like. But what happens if I told you that the key to actual success, the key to actual happiness, isn't in gain or getting, but giving? Now, that's a completely contradictory world to live in. And that's why today's message is titled Upside Down. Because the kingdom of God often flips principles 
that we learn from culture, from places of practice, from others, and it flips it upside down and completely takes it and throws it out the window. And, uh, and, and it really speaks to you to, to live your life in a different way. So today, I want to show you how you can gain a life of happiness that is independent of your situation. And that's what we're going to be speaking about today, of how you can gain a life of happiness, fulfillment, and success that is independent of whatever situation you're facing today. It's an eternal investment that pays an eternal reward, not just later, but also now. Now, I've played a lot of video games in my life, and some of my favorite are like RPG type games, but like I've really been in the survival type games for a while now. But you can kind of see this theme throughout a bunch of different games, whether it be, you know, one of my favorites, Tarkov, or it be something like New World, or even in, in uh, tabletop games like D&D, or, you know, one of the staff's games that we've been playing is Valheim. And so you can see what encumbrance does in these games. Encumbrance is this idea of being overweight. Your movement is being encumbered in some way, shape, or form. The idea is that you're holding too much and the game is penalizing you for doing so. It would be like real life, right? If I picked up 200 pounds, I'm probably not going very far. And so it tries to bring these reality uh, into the games. It's also used as a balancing mechanic. But <laughs> one story I have with encumbrance is, is about a game called New World. And in New World, I grinded that game for the first couple weeks, maybe the first month of the game. And I just, I, I liked some aspects of New World. I loved some aspects of New World. And then there were some aspects I didn't really like. But one day, I found myself in the forest, as many were. And one of the things I was trying to level up was my um, herbs, like I was grabbing herbs. But then I started seeing stone nodes that I could harvest. I don't remember what they were, if they were copper or tin or something. But so I started harvesting those. But then I came upon a pile of ore. And I don't know if I harvested it or if it was, I think it was just there. And I picked it up. And all of a sudden, my character was completely frozen. I literally could not move. There was no time. There was no way for me to move. I was like, what, what is going on? Like completely standing still. And I was like, was it something I just did? Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, appears a purple little character coming to say hello. And when I played New World, I believe I was on, um, man, I'm never going to remember the names. It was maybe in the Marauders. Someone in the chat might know. I think it was a yellow team. So we were on yellow. I wanted to go Syndicate, which was purple. I remember Syndicate because that's what I wanted to do. But everybody's going Marauder, so I did that. I think I would have done the other one, though. But whatever. So I, I did it what everybody else was doing because that's where our community was. And I wanted to obviously be with them. This Syndicate guy comes up. And now at this point, things are running through my head. This guy planted that ore. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. That he planted that ore there so I would pick it up. And I would be caught and rendered helpless. And I think I was about a level 40 at the time. I might have been a few levels le less than that. And 
He legitimately destroyed me. We were part of covenant. That's what it was, covenant. We were part of covenant. And so he legitimately destroyed me. I think that he was like level 17. And I was like in my upper 30s, maybe early 40s. And I got completely caught off guard. And it left me helpless and stranded. And like for me, I was a giga chad, man. I, I was, I, I literally have a clip where I was 1v4ing. You know what I mean? People that were higher levels than me. Like I was going off. I was, I was the chad, man. And I thought I had everything I needed. And I thought I was doing the right thing by picking up this resource. I thought it would be healthy and helpful. I thought that the more that I had, the greater I could become. And what this, I know, I know the story's embarrassing. All right. Don't meme me too hard. But I found it hilarious. And, I, and honestly, kudos to that guy. That dude knew, knew what he was doing. But what it got me thinking and what I've heard a lot of my time, uh, a lot of, a lot throughout my life is the idea that the more stuff you have, the more problems you have. You know, it reminds me of the famous philosopher that some of you may know, a man of astute wisdom, notorious B.I.G., <laughs> where he said, mo money, mo problems. And I can honestly attest that to be true. That the more I achieve, the greater the expectation. The more I have to steward, the more my brain is running crazy. The more, the, the larger things become in my career, the more anxious I feel. The more I achieve, the greater the expectation. And all of that stuff weighs us down and catches us rendered useless when it comes to 17, level 17 syndicate coming and taking advantage of your encumbrance. Life can become encumbered. We can pick up so many things and start to rely on ourselves, rely on the fact that we can handle it, that we can do it on our own. But there's a weight that comes with carrying those things. And I believe this translates spiritually. I'm not saying that you have to, to, to give up everything that, that you have in order to be free. I'm not saying you have to be willing to sacrifice everything. You know, I watched this interview one time with this homeless man, and I can't remember his name, and I apologize for it. But he was going through, and they were interviewing him just about life. And one of the interviewer's questions, basically, it, it got him to the place where it got him to this question where it was like, you know, Basically, are you, are you okay? Are you happy with your situation? Like, what, what can I do to help you get out of the situation? And the homeless guy looked at the guy in his eyes and said, I don't need any help at all. I'm, I'm right where I want to be. And that spurred another question that the interviewer asked. And it was, why would you want to be in this situation? And he said, when I was a psychologist, this is the homeless man speaking, 
When I was a psychologist, life was so much more difficult. I had so many more things I had to pay attention to. But being homeless, I have all the freedom in the world. All I have to worry about is the backpack on my back. Now, there's two folds there, right? I don't believe that we're just can live our lives and float through it and not take any responsibility. And I'm not saying that's what this guy was doing. And on the other hand, I think so many of us get burdened with our possessions, with our responsibilities, with our careers that we miss the importance of life. And so even though I'm not saying, you know, you have to give up everything and become homeless to go, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, there is a kingdom principle in the idea of sacrificing your comfort, your things, your treasure. There is a gain that is not tangible, but spiritual. And there is a freedom, better yet, there is a change in what you rely on. And we stop relying on us so much and start relying on him. And I don't necessarily think it has to do with the fact of just giving things up. I think it has to do a lot with the fact of our willingness. I can promise you, church, right now, in and of itself, this is not to give myself a pat on the back or anything like that. Any time in my life that God has told me to go, I have went. And I have never regretted it ever. Even when it felt difficult. Even when it felt like it was going to be full of suffering. Even when I was, <laughs> I was scratching, clawing to not have it happen because I liked where I was. It was always to my benefit. And it was that willingness of obedience. Obedience over sacrifice. Every time. Let's jump into the scripture here. Luke 6, 20 through 23 is going to be the main verses that we use in the next two weeks. But we're going to just hit 620 today, which tells you a lot. Um, and so the Beatitudes, this is also known as the Sermon on the Plain. And I'm going to speak to that a little bit in, in a minute, because not a lot of people understand that differential when that's said. Or you might have never heard that before. But Luke 620, this is the CSB version. It says, then looking up at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are hungry now because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. Blessed are you when you people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the son of man. Rejoice on that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat people and prophets. You didn't see that pop up on screen, that last part, because I'm not talking about the day. We're focusing in on, then looking up at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, because the kingdom of God is yours. As we break this down, there's so much detail in this passage of scripture. And I believe it's the antithesis of Jesus's message. And we're going to crack that open of why I believe that. So in the first part of verse 20, we'll call it 20a. Then looking up at his disciples, he said, when he says that, he lifts up his eyes towards his disciples. And Jesus here begins a section of teaching 
often called the Sermon on the Plain. And that's because it was done at a level place. If you go back to Luke 6, 17, you can see that it said he went down to them on a level place. Now, this is quite contradictory to what happened inside of Matthew 5 through 7, where Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there is some scholarly debate on whether, you know, what is what, uh, whether it's the same sermon, uh, just like, you know, or if it's the exact same time period and they're both just listing it differently. I personally believe that it is two different sermons. I think it's the same sermon in two different locations. Now, the teaching in Matthew 7 is similar to the passages in Luke, but there are also differences. Mainly the Luke account is much shorter, which is interesting because Luke is so detailed. Many wonder if those are two separate occasion teachings, but one of the things that we have to realize is about itinerant preachers, and itinerant means a preacher that goes from place to place, which Jesus was, is they'll often use the same message to different crowds. Same sermon, different crowds. And we know that the main message that Jesus preached was the kingdom is near. And so it would make a lot of sense that Jesus didn't preach this one sermon and just left it at that. But he went to other places and preached the exact same message to different crowds. And so this is the Sermon on the Plain, which I believe is different than the Sermon on the Mount. Now, one of the things he says is he, he looked towards his disciples. And in Luke's gospel, it is no accident, I believe, that Jesus comes immediately, that this great message of Jesus comes immediately right after Jesus chose the twelve. In Luke 6, 12 through 16. This is the first thing that he preaches to them. And it's also right before he sent those disciples to preach throughout the towns of Galilee. You can see that in Luke 9, 1 through 6. It was part of their teaching to hear and understand this message because it helped clearly explain what was meant to be, what it was meant to be, to be a follower of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, like I said, I don't find that by chance. Jesus just picked his 12, and he preaches the most important message to them. And as we break this down further, you'll see why I believe this is one of the greatest teachings that Jesus does in the Bible. Because it helps those that take that walk and take that journey of being a Christian and start to apply it to your life. Now, there's a twofold function for this. It's to encourage faithfulness among Jesus' disciples. And it's to challenge those non-disciples to follow him. It's a challenge to those that would say, well, I didn't quite, wasn't quite bought into what you were saying before, but... Now I get it. Now I understand it. And it's clear that the Sermon on the Plain had a significant impact on the early church because early Christians made a constant reference to it and their lives shined in the glory of, uh, through the glory of radical discipleship. So I believe that this is Jesus' first message to those that start their discipleship journey. So if you're standing or sitting here today and you would say you're a Christian, this is a pretty important message to you. But if you're also sitting here and you would say, 
you know what, Daylight? I don't know if I quite believe this. Then this is your challenge through this next two-part series. I challenge you to listen to the words of Jesus and let him speak to your heart. When it said, and then he said, it says in the, in the passage of scripture in 620, and said, it has such, for being such a simple phrase, it has such impact on the people he's speaking to. Because what he says and, and follows after this it's recognized as the sum of Jesus's teachings or anyone's ethical teaching. In the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus told his followers and would-be followers how to live. It has been said, if you take the best advice from anyone you've ever heard, that's ever been uttered by any philosopher, psychologist, counselor, and you took out all the foolishness and you boiled it down, to the real essentials, you'd be left with a poor imitation of this great message by Jesus. That should mean something to you. That should have an impact on your heart. And it should make you really pay attention and lean in right now. Because the Sermon on the Mount is sometimes thought of as Jesus' declaration of the kingdom. In the same way the American revolutionaries had their declaration of independence. Or Karl's Mark had his communist manifesto. With this message, Jesus explained the agenda and plan of his kingdom. It's the antithesis of the work he came to impart on earth. So if you haven't realized, if I haven't made it a big enough deal yet, this message really, 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 really matters. I believe these sermons Jesus preached may have been the most impactful and will be the most impactful on your life apart from salvation. If you can grasp a hold of it. I would love to just leave you on the cliffhanger right there and just like wait for next week. Cause like, that would be like, that's a, that's definitely like my heart. Like I would love to do that, but we, we, we got to get through some more because there's some insightful things that we haven't talked about that we need to break down. But how funny would that have been? See, this message Jesus preached and why it's so impactful and why it's the antithesis of what he's speaking or what his impartation on earth was is because it literally threw it threw a corkscrew in the plan of all of those in Israel that thought the Messiah would look a certain way, that he would be a certain something, that he was coming for a certain reason. It literally shattered their expectations. Because it does not present the political or material blessings of the Messiah's reign. Instead, it, it, it expresses the spiritual implications of the rule of Jesus in our lives. This great message tells us how we live with Jesus as our Lord. 
not as the conquering commander, not as the one who will bring us back to glorious reign inside of the earth. No. It teaches us submission, obedience to him. A reliance on God as Lord. It is important to understand that the Sermon on the Mount does not deal with salvation as such, but it lays out for the disciple and the potential disciple how regarding Jesus as king translates into your ethics and your daily living. This teaching shows you how to live as a disciple. It starts you on that journey. It gives you the, 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 the simplicity of really being able to go out after you hear this and go and preach, right? It was right after this that the, the, the apostles went out. That the disciples went out and started preaching throughout Galilee. They didn't have to have, you know, four years of seminary. No, no offense to that. You know what I mean? Don't come for me, Bible colleges. But what I'm saying is this message alone was simple enough to equip those to go into the world and preach the gospel. What? We're talking about three verses. that changed the reality of people that were far from Christ to coming, I want to follow after this guy, to saying, I learned these three verses, to now I am equipped to go into the world. Not that they stopped learning. Trust me, Jesus taught them many, many things over his three and a half years. But this was enough to get started. And I find that essential. I find that beautiful. But he's also Jesus, so it might take me and you a little longer, you know what I mean? It might take four weeks for me to impart on you. <laughs> it's it's going to be a little different than three, not three verses, maybe three years, you know? So give us some time. But what I'm saying is there's such impact in this language that, that, that God synthesized down this teaching so pointedly that it was sufficient enough. Luke 6.20 20 part B, we'll call it. Blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Let's break down what blessed means. Jesus promised blessing to his disciples. He promised the poor in spirit are blessed. The idea that the ancient Greek word for blessed is, the idea behind it is the idea of happy. But in the truest godly sense of the word, not in our modern sense of merely being comfortable or entertained at the moment. It is the truest sense of happiness. The same word for blessed, which in some sense means happy, is applied to God in 1 Timothy 1.11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, it's this word, mark, mark, I'm going to mess this up. No, I got this, I think. Makarios. Makarios. It describes a joy which has its secret within itself. That joy which is serene and untouchable and self-contained, that joy which is completely independent of all chances and changes of life. 
That's what Barclay tells us. I'm going to say that one more time. Markarios describes a joy that has its secret within itself. That joy which is serene and untouchable, self-contained. That joy which is completely independent of all chances and changes of life. That's a different type of happiness than you're used to hearing. I know it is because I live amongst the same world you do. Happiness to us is glimpses of time. And our moods can change and they can swing and we can be this way. We can be up and down and all. But this is a joy that is unchanging. That is the word blessed. And God himself exudes it when it says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. The Macarius, Macaroni, Macarios, God. In Matthew 25, 34, Jesus said that on the day of judgment, he would say to his people, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. On that day, he will judge between the blessed and the cursed. He both knows and explains the requirements for the blessed one. And we can also say that no one has ever been blessed more than Jesus, so he understands what he's talking about. He knows what goes into a blessed life. So when Jesus talks about blessed, it is a inherent situation. It is all to itself. It is sustaining. It is a source. It is an essence. Blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. A joy has a secret within and of itself. It's serene and untouchable are you who are poor. A joy that is self-contained are you who are poor. A joy that is completely independent of all chances and changes of life are you who are poor. And that blessing comes with it. The judgment of those who sit in the camp of following after God. One of the things we also have to understand about this blessing and this word blessed is it also denotes a delight. That the blessing in every case is present tense throughout this scripture verse. That it's not talking about the blessed hope that you will one day have in heaven, but it's talking about the blessed hope you can have now here today. It does not say you shall be blessed. It says blessed are. It is talking about now. It is talking about in this situation, where you live, in this life, in your current situation, that you too can be blessed. Stop waiting for the blessings. I want to dispel any idea that we're a church that is just huddled together in a corner, just waiting for God to come back. 
That is not who we are. We are people empowered by the Holy Spirit to go into the world with the teachings of Jesus and spread the love that God has shared with us, the grace and mercy that he has exalted in your life. And that the glorious Savior wants the exact same gift for others. We are not the church that is afraid and timid and just hoping that God does great things. We are living in the blessings that he pours out because they are not a shall be blessed. They are you are blessed. Christian, are you living in the blessings of God? Or are you living in a blessingless life, a cursed life? Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. This scripture verse matters because we're not just talking about people that do not have wealth. In the ancient Greek vocabulary, there are several words that can be used to describe poverty. The one Jesus selects, the one that translates over, that, that is being selected here, is means severe poverty. It indicates the lowest of low, those without anything. The idea is someone that must beg for whatever they have or will get. It is someone that lives day to day on the aspirations and, and generosity of others. Now that is a low of low, right? But that word selection matters. Jesus used that for a reason. Because immediately that statement strikes me with strangeness. That is weird. What do you mean blessed by being poor? Like I've been told my whole life, man. I mean, if I, I could have a $16,000 dog, you know, like I could be driving my private jet. Like I'm not acting to be like anybody else. You know what I mean? Don't, don't clip me and post me anybody's. Like, but I'm, I'm supposed to live in this extreme wealth, right? Like, I'm supposed to have everything that I want. And so this teaching, blessed by being poor, was also stunning to everyone there because none of them wanted to be poor. None of them wanted to be the poor that Jesus was talking about, like those beggars that were sitting outside of the gate because they didn't have the ability to provide for themselves because they were disabled or they were untouchable or whatever else. No one wanted to be described that way. They had an understanding just like you have an understanding right now. So to me, it made no sense at all. Yet the power and wisdom in this truth lies in the fact that the poor man must look to others for what he needs. He has no illusions about his ability to provide for himself. And that is powerful. Though there's much practical wisdom in the teachings of Jesus, he was a spiritual man and taught on spiritual themes. The poverty Jesus had most in mind is poverty of spirit. And that was exactly how he phrased in the sermon recorded in Matthew 5. The poor in spirit recognize that they have no spiritual assets. 
They know they are spiritually bankrupt. Poverty of spirit cannot be artificially induced by self-hatred. It comes as the Holy Spirit works in our heart and how we respond to him. Everyone can start here. It isn't first blessed or the pure or the holy or the spiritual or the wonderful. The great, the mighty, the ones that keep the law the best. Like, everyone can be poor in spirit. Spurgeon said it like this. Not what I have, but what I have not is the first point of contact between my soul and God. When we are at complete depletion in anything in life, when you are at the end all of your rope, when you are backed into the corner in the worst pit that you could imagine in pure despair, there is nothing you can do but rely on someone else. And when Jesus implies this to the spirit and talking about having a spirit of a, a, a poverty in spirit, what he is talking about is being able to humble yourself and realize that you have no control. You have no ability to conquer in the spiritual by yourself. You need him. And only when we realize that we are completely depleted and we have nowhere else to look, then do we understand that our hands are opened like that poverty is talking about begging for help, full reliance on God. Only in that moment of pure desperation, only in that moment, do we allow God to have full control. Only in that moment is when our obedience is perfected. As Jesus continues, blessed are those who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Yet those who are poor in spirit, so poor they must beg, are rewarded. They receive the kingdom of God. Therefore, poverty of spirit is an absolute prerequisite of receiving the kingdom. Because as long as we keep illusions about our own spiritual resources, we will never receive from God what we absolutely need. The blessing to the poor is placed first for a reason. Because it puts the following commands into perspective. That's why I wanted to take so much time on this idea. They cannot be fulfilled in your own strength, but only by a beggar's reliance on God's power. The 
This message isn't a call to action to give up everything and make yourself deliberately poor. This simply isn't an action you perform or earn or can do by yourself. I'm sorry, Christian. This is something that requires God. We're surrounded and we're drowned in a dogmatic practice of trying to live up to God's righteousness through our own strength. Trying to do it on our own. I mean, you can read countless Christian books. You can watch countless Christian preachers. You can, you can dive deep into different devotions. And so many of them preach to you, strengthening who you are rather than strengthening God in you. And the only way you strengthen God in you is not earning respect or earning some favor from God by doing the right thing. It's by becoming less so that he can become more. Kingdom of God is upside down. It doesn't make sense. You have to learn to rewire everything that you've been wired for. And my prayer for you today is that you would unlearn everything you know. And you would allow God to build in you. You would become fully dependent. You would become spiritually impoverished so that you can inherit the kingdom of God and become spiritually wealthy. This is an honest willingness that you can't beat with a mindset shift. This is surrendering that comes by falling before God on your knees and asking him to empty you of yourself. It's not about anything other than more, more of him. In Matthew 6, 33 through 34, it says it like this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If you're sitting here today and you're a Christian, the call is a call to emptiness. It's a call to empty yourself so God can fill you. And that's only done in his presence by his power. I will not be able to get you there, nor will Pastor Boz or Pastor Amanda. No other preacher online, no book will get you there. It's going to be a full reliance on him. It's going to be between you and Jesus and your willingness to spend time with him. Because only if you spend time with him can he truly empty your cup of all the garbage 
so that he can fill it back up with his spring of life. And for you who are sitting here today and you would say, Daylight, I don't know if I believe in anything, man. I don't know about God. I don't know about Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. I want to talk about that encumbrance a little different. That encumbrance for you is the encumbrance of taking on all of the trash, all of the, the crap you've carried for years. And that encumbrance has caught you stranded. And there's a purple little guy coming to get you. And you've felt that for a long time. And what I'm saying today is that God can break you free of that weight. That there is a love of, of a love that passes all understanding. Because it's a love between the created and its creator. And because we've been built in the image of God, we have a longing to replace this puzzle piece that's been missing in our heart. And you can have that relationship with God today, and it is quite simple to start the journey. Now, I'm not going to tell you the journey's easy. You have to count the cost. It's difficult. But what it is, is it's worth it. Because nothing else in my life has fulfilled me in the way God has. And I've been around. I've lived through some hard times. And God's always there. And he always has been and he always will be. In those times of desperation, when I was completely empty, I found him. He wants that for you too. If you want to put your faith in Jesus, it's as simple as asking him to come into your heart. Saying, Lord, I surrender to you. I make you king of my life. Will you forgive me of the old life I used to live? I want to pursue this new journey. That's you today. Would love, love, love for you to connect, connect with us. We would love to be able to help you to start walking through that journey because things can be kind of confusing, especially when you're new to something. You're just like anything. If I start a new game up and don't know exactly what to do without looking at guides. Well, the Christian life's a little more difficult than Elden Ring. But like I said, it's a life worth living. It's a life worth figuring out. And like I already said, but in different words, it's the best win you'll ever have. As always, church, if no one's told you they love you today, I love you with my whole heart. We'll see you soon. Amen, amen. A powerful, powerful message. I see the comments. I need to hear this message. Thank God for his timing. God's timing is always perfect. Let me tell you, we, we, we try to do stuff ourselves. And just like Pastor TJ was saying there, we need we need to go to him time and time again. We need, we, we need him to be the center. We need him, number one. And honestly, his timing 
You know, that's been a prayer of mine for a long time. Lord, like, not my will be done. Let your will be done in my life, God. We can pray for a lot of things and have this idea, like Pastor TJ was talking about, right? We, we want all these earthly possessions. Really, as Christians and those that follow Christ, our prayer should be, God, let your will be done in my life. Let, let, let your will be done, God. Let it be your will. And honestly, today, you know, man, that was, that was so powerful. Can we get some amens in the chat? Also, if you're here for the first time, we love to connect with you. If you're here, you're saying, man, I want to know more about um, about God, about what he's doing here um, um, on Twitch. You can, you can type in Switch Boy Connect in the chat. Fill that form out with as much information as you feel comfortable. We love to connect with you. We love to show you the next steps. You know, um, just like we're gamers here, right? We don't want to stay on level one, right? Salvation, getting saved, receiving the Lord is the start our walk with god it's, it's it's just the start he has so much more for us in this journey so you can fill that form out with much information we'll to connect to you and let us know how we can serve you how we can pray for you do life together basically you know and so i also want to make mention that you know all this is made possible we're able to do all this because here at god's Square church there's so many that are generous that are givers and that's you today you say you know what i, I, I want to continue i want to partner with you i want to continue to give you know if you call god's Square church your church and you, 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 you got to sow, you got to sow that seed and what you're sowing, it's, a lot of times it's finances. It takes finances for all this to keep on happening, for us to have full-time staff, for us to be able to come here on Twitch year after year. It's all for, thanks to your generosity. In Matthew 6, 19, when he was told the scriptures, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And Pastor TJ talked about that, right? Today, um, 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 where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where um, moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we know here at GSC, our hearts are, are for, the, for the Lord, for God. And honestly, we know that everything that's been given to us, right, is a gift from him, that he's only, we're only stewards of everything we, we've been given. And we have no problem giving back. And I want to encourage you, if that's you today, there are plenty safe and secure ways to give. You say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to partner. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to trust the Lord with my finances. I'm going to sow a seed today. You can type in SOH Point Give in chat. And I give you information on how to give. Or you can go to the panels below. You can click on our PayPal link. You can give through PayPal. Or you can give through our website, GodSquadChurch.com. Or if you reside in the USA, it's as easy as pick up your phone and send a text message to 84321 with any amount you can send a message in there and able to give i want to encourage everybody that you know god put on your heart continue, continue to be obedient to the lord it's always better to be obedient right we know that from um the the, the, the good story of saul um or, or when um when the when, the, when samuel came and said there's a lord you know he said is is um obedience better than sacri sacrifice no just be obedient so god put on your heart i want to thank you